Welcome back. This week we're going to examine another area of David's life that prepared and equipped him to overcome the challenges he faced. David was a man after God's heart. God said that was what qualified him to be king of Israel. If we want to overcome the impossible situations in our lives and become the people that God has created us to be, we must become people after God's heart. We talked last week about how a small group of people who you are doing life with is an important part of that process. If you missed it, I would encourage you to review that session when we have time. There were two other practices that marked David as a man after God's heart. His passion for God's word and his continual conversation with God through prayer. These habits provided the foundation in David's life that along with the group of people around him, positioned him to become king. Let's first look at David's passion for God's Word. Psalm 119 is a song David wrote about his love for Scripture. We're going to read just one section of that psalm. In it, David uses a number of words to describe God's Word. He refers to it as God's law, His commandments, His testimonies, and His promises. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. When many people think about reading the Bible, they think of mythological stories and lists of names we can't even pronounce. But God's Word isn't simply a storybook. It has incredible power to transform our lives. David said it was better to him than thousands of gold and silver pieces. To become people after God's heart, we need to learn the lesson about digging into God's Word that David had mastered. David wrote about learning God's commandments, God's promises bringing comfort, meditating on God's precepts, and knowing God's testimonies. These are ways that we interact with God's Word, not just by reading. We learn His commands, the ways He designed us to live. We discover His promises, the things He wants to give us as we live with Him. We meditate on the teachings in His Word, His instructions for our lives, and we experience the stories of how God has worked in the lives of countless ordinary men and women, just like he wants to do in our lives. The one thing that David doesn't say is, uh, I read 20 chapters of your word a day. That's important to note, because God's word works in us, not just through us, reading large quantities each day. Rather, it works as his spirit speaks to us as we reflect and meditate on it. The goal isn't to read fast, it's to discover the treasure in each passage. I encourage you to spend five to ten minutes each day for the next week reading and meditating on the passages in the daily quiet time section. Don't just read through. Spend time meditating, which means reflecting and contemplating on what you read and how it affects your life. Discover the promises that God has for you, the stories of people who face challenges and opportunities like you, instructions for building your life, and revelation that shows what God really is like.
The second habit that built David's relationship with God was prayer. He recorded dozens of prayers in the psalm from every season of life. There are prayers of uh, rejoicing when things are going well, prayers of despair when it seemed King Saul would kill him, and prayers of repentance when he sinned, and prayers of gratitude when God answered. Here is 1 Psalm 142. I cry out to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pray out before Him my complaint. Before Him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry out to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. There are two helpful lessons that we can learn from David's prayers. First, we need to be open and honest with God about what's going on and how we really feel. David said, I pour out my complaint before him, I tell my trouble. Prayer is not supposed to be a religious exercise where we try to say something that rhymes or sounds really spiritual. Prayer is talking to God. We need to share our emotions, struggles, doubts, and needs along with our gratitude, praise, celebration, and worship. God already knows everything going on. And he invites us to come to him with everything, both big and small, bad and good, and everything in between. Our prayers should never stop with our complaints and needs, though. They must transition to remembering who God is, what he is like, what his promises are to us. This is the second lesson about prayer. In the middle of David's desperation, he remembered that God is my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. In the same way, we must remember that whatever is going on in our lives, God is good. He is love. He is our refuge, our savior, our healer, our good father, our comforter, our guide, our strong tower and our protector. He is our creator and the king even in our storms. If we remember who God is and what his promises are and what he's done in our lives before and bring that to remembrance in our prayers, it will help us have faith that he will come through again. It's really easy to get off track with prayer and, and digging into God's Word. There are two tools that we're going to practice with our small group to help stay on track with these habits. First, it's important to have someone walk alongside of us uh, in this journey. We call this person a spiritual partner, which is similar to how David and Jonathan, who connected with him and encouraged him. I encourage each of you to commit to a spiritual partner during this study. You will check in with each other each week to see how you're doing with these spiritual habits and with any commitments you made the week before. It's not important whether your spiritual partner is more or less religious than you are. What is important is that you are honest about what's going on in your life and that you encourage and pray for each other. The second tool is a spiritual health assessment. It's an app that you can use to measure how you're doing in relationships, how you're growing with spiritual habits, and the three other areas that we're going to talk about in the next three weeks. 
You can find the health assessment at www.spiritualhealthapp.com. The spiritual health assessment will be the first activity we do in our group time today. That will help us see where we are with each of God's purposes. Then together with our spiritual partners, we will select one area and create a goal to work on each of these next week. Each week as we progress, we will pick one more goal that applies to the topic from that week. Together, as we build great relationships with each other and develop our relationship with God through digging into His Word and prayer, we can become people who do the impossible. Let's take these next steps together and become people who know God through His Word, who connect with Him through prayer. See you next week. I joined reluctantly. I was actually a little embarrassed and nervous because I thought, here I am at this singles group and I'm bringing my two kids with me. And, um, but I felt that I needed to do it. I felt God pushing me to do it. So went to the small group. It was the first night of the small group. And of course, who opens the door? A single mom. She was the host of the small group. And we hit it off right away. Um, and the first week was actually her and myself. And um, we just talked about our struggles of being single moms. Um, you know, she had been through it more than I had been and guidance on raising godly children. Um, and then went back the next week, two more single parents had joined. And it, this wasn't even a single parent small group. Um, it was just a singles group. So um, I quickly came to learn that um, God was putting me in a place to nurture me. Um, and at the same time, even in my brokenness, I was able to help these people as well. So it was a great group of broken people just loving the Lord and trying to get through life. Uh, there was a point where I had almost lost my house. And, um, and at this point, the group had started coming to my house. So I thought, oh my gosh, here, we are not gonna have a place to hold small group anymore. I'm gonna lose my home. I'm gonna lose the place where I brought my children home from the hospital. There's nothing like having people tell you, you know, listen, we had to move out of our house. This wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, God got us through this. Um, it's not as bad as you think. Or, hey, even if it is bad, we're gonna carry you through it. And because of that, I was able to focus just on living my life and learning about God and not so focused on what if, what if, what if. Um, and that was, that was a really huge, thing for me to learn was that um, God was going to get me through it no matter how horrible I thought it was going to be. And actually it ended up being really wonderful, even in the pain.